Roger. So we're all working towards, in theory, the education of the youths. Yes, of the future. <laughs> the, that's, the that's, how the the that's how I say it when I want my teenagers to cringe. Youths. 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 Welcome to the Pedagogy Toolkit. This week's episode is the first of a two-part series on the high-impact practice of writing-intensive courses. High-impact practices are exactly what the name says, strategies and approaches that have been proven to lead to significant improvement in student outcomes. While we will address other high-impact practices in future episodes, this week we'll talk about effectively incorporating more writing into your courses, no matter the subject, why it's important, and how to go about it. For this discussion, James and Amelie are joined by Dana Blair, the coordinator of the Writing Studio at the University of Arkansas Student Success Center. The Writing Studio supports all things writing in the U of A community, from one-on-one consultations to larger writing groups and research librarian support. And so we were excited when Dana said she was able to join us to geek out about writing across the curriculum. So we've all taught writing at some point. Um, And then we have also, uh, most of us, I think, been in jobs in the private sector. Even in jobs in academia, private sector, you almost always get that that line in your job description that says, and other duties as required or as Mm -hmm. necessary or as assigned. But we don't. We don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> so, so we just, it sounds ominous. Right? We don't like to be told what to so do. So all-inclusive. So have you ever worked with somebody who pushes against that really hard? No, like, not really. Really? Like Maybe. the idea of like, that's not my job. That. That's not my job. Just That's not in my job description. I think my whole life that's been the phrase that gets you in a, on a quick train out, right? <laughs> Yeah. To say that's not my job. It's been like, yes, please. May I have another? May yeah. I do more work? <laughs> that's, that's where I get into trouble. I'm like, that sounds like a great idea. I know, right? What a cool Let's project. <laughs> <laughs> but I always, I mean, I almost every job, there's been that one person that tries to get out of whatever they're being asked to do because, and that's, I'm sure, where the whole line of and other duties as necessary yeah. comes from is that guy. Yes, mm-hmm. that guy that says not in my job description, not you know above my pay grade, not my. Right. But essentially, I think we'd all like to think that every that when we're doing our job, it's all in service of a not a necessarily a greater good, but it's all in service of something bigger than just our tiny part of the job. Yeah, I mean we're all in education, right? I mean we can sleep better at night knowing we've made the world sure. a slightly better place probably most days we i mean i can i can safely say that compared to my previous life in corporate america i i do feel a little better about my role in the world i'll just say it i do <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's fair that's fair might as well own it i mean well yeah that's right you gotta, <laughs> gotta have something to cling on to um but yeah, so since every job is is in service of this larger, so we're all working towards, in theory, the education of the youths. Yes, of the future. <laughs> the, that's, the youth. That's the how youths. I say it when I want. <laughs> that's how I say it when I want my teenagers to cringe. Youths. 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 Where did youth come from? 
that that may be our intro, uh, little intro piece. <laughs> <laughs> the two youths. We're here to. We're here, to, all in the service of the youths. All in the service of the youths. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so we have all taught writing, literature, reading. Those are things that that we teach. So they are automatically kind of at the forefront of our mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we probably all agree that everybody, well, I used to work in a, a school where they would say, everybody is a reading teacher. Everybody is a writing teacher. And that used to make me kind of cringe a little bit. But I, I do think that those things can be incorporated throughout the curriculum. Yeah, they can. And, and it's often assumed that, that people will have gathered those skill sets just automatically or absorbed them somehow through life when, when it, it really takes some thought and a lot of times collaboration and help, I think, to do that. Well, if you haven't really focused on it before, it's, it's not, it doesn't make a lot of sense to just say everyone is a reading teacher. Everyone's a writing teacher, but no one's been trained or given the, you know, the, the right to do that. We've already sort of set up the framework that, you know, everybody is trying to teach the youths. Um, mm-hmm. Why is writing important in across the curriculum? <laughs> I think that uh, the, the deal is in any field, communication is still a part of it. Now, it may be a different kind of communication, you know, in, in your, your literary history class, you might go long, right? But even engineers have to impart information mm-hmm. to other people, to other engineers, and occasionally to non-engineers, and they mm-hmm. have to be able to string sentences together to do that effectively. And so I think while I wouldn't want to try to turn everything into a writing class because, you know, that's not what everybody signed up for, I, I you, you can't discount the importance of communication in, in any field and and writing is normally where we focus on that uh, in a more deliberate way. Yeah. I feel like also it's just such a useful tool for learning, um, you know, especially when students as technology advances and people say, well, why do I need to know how to communicate? Well, I can just say what I want, put it into chat GPT and tell it who to spit it out as, you know, write this as an engineer to a general public or something. Um, you know, and we do need to know how to work with those tools, but if you're not engaging in writing and really thinking about how to communicate, you're not getting the whole big picture. You're not having time to analyze, to articulate, to get the nuances of things that really only happen when you're forced (laughs) to put something down on paper. (laughs) Right. Or to even appreciate the differences in those things, right. To think about rhetorical situations, about audience and skill level of your audience or, or knowledge of the subject or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, I always, I had, would have students that said, why do I have to learn how to do this? I can read, I can write. Mm -hmm. Why do I have to learn how to do these very specific things? And so I think that giving students an opportunity to write within, um, within other disciplines, within other classes, it gives them sort of the context to practice because otherwise we're just teaching writing and reading and, 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 you know, literary analysis, we are teaching it in one space, in one spot, in right. one silo. Because writing looks very different in different fields, right? My, my wife is a, a pharmacist and in her classes, like what 
counts as writing is is fairly well scripted, right? In science classes, writing, you know, that sort of research paper where most of the paper is your findings and there's a you know, little bit at the top that kind of sets it up, right? Very different than the, you know, trying to make sense of something in a, a more discursive way in the arts. Well, and I think it's really difficult to only do writing in writing specific classes because there's no context. I mean, Writing and reading, because they're communication, they don't just happen between one person and a screen. You know, they happen in a greater context. Students, in my experience, students always do better in a writing class if they have an actual real life context to practice in. Absolutely. And so it makes so much more sense to incorporate that into those contexts directly rather than to just say, you're going to write. Well, why? To who? What? You know, for what purpose? What am I trying to communicate? I don't know. Let's make something up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think so far we've talked just about writing as communication, but there are other. There are absolutely other ways, and that's. um, I think when you talk to someone, especially someone who is not uh, typically a writing teacher, they're going to think, "But I don't. I don't need my students to write papers. I don't want to grade papers." Mm -hmm. There's this idea that writing is about writing papers or writing Mm -hmm. essays and that that is what writing in an academic sense is. So in any class, it's papers. But it's it's not. There's sort of two different um, approaches to it. So a paper is a is a product. Mm -hmm. And often writing gets plugged into this space in academia where it's how we are gauging what a student knows. We're using Mm -hmm. it evaluatively. We're, yeah. we're looking backwards at, mm-hmm. at what the students know or can do, whereas writing to learn is a real focus on the process mm-hmm. and, and the stages that happen leading up to those products or leading up to, to the, the better understanding. Yeah, there's that. Um, I, I looked it up here since I've got my laptop next to me. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to remember who had said it. Several people have probably said it, but Joan Didion is the one that that popped up and seems apropos. I don't know what I think until I write it down that, you know, that the actual process of trying to order your thoughts on, on a page um, Mm -hmm. helps clarify them and that you can get more specific and more detailed on a page than you can when you're just talking. Um, That it's sort of an act of discovery. Yeah, Yeah. it certainly can be. And if you create it as a, as a practice, as a habit, you know, it can become a, a useful tool for reflection and discovery of, of what your real thoughts about things are. This is why journaling's always been a, a yeah. go-to uh, in classes and, you know, and in life, and in life right? Yeah. yeah. It's just a way of processing information in a way that's a little more deliberate. And that, that gets you more in touch with words in a, you know, in a, a granular way that you don't get if all you ever do is Write a research paper. Yeah, mm-hmm. or text and or talk. text. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's interesting, too, because um, if, you're, if you're just doing research, I feel like writing down um, your own thoughts and opinions and syntheses of the research um, and the scholarship that's out there is, is something different than just reading it. You know, it requires you to enter the conversation and to make your own conclusions, to step into that space of scholarship that's happening 
because you have to respond to it in writing. You can't respond to all the scholars in person. You know, you can't go sit in a room somewhere where they're all just having this great conversation and you're going to jump in and decide where you stand, what your thoughts are, what the important takeaways are. And so, you know, that can be a space in writing to do that. However, it's often difficult, I think, to separate the idea of to, to identify your goals when you're trying to assign writing for a student. Um, I have a lot of, we, as we work with a lot of faculty, a common refrain is my students can't write. Like that one phrase has come across very frequently, but it always requires digging to figure out what they mean by they can't write. Right. Does that mean that you're concerned about grammar? Does that mean they're struggling with organization? Does that mean they can't synthesize the, the research or have like a real strong authorial voice? And I think a lot of times when we create writing assignments, we expect students to do all of those at once, um, which can make it harder to grade, harder to to learn for the students to learn, harder to teach. Um, so, yeah, breaking things down instead of just the general essay that it's like this needs to sound perfect. It needs to, you know, take every box. You, you can pick just one or two boxes. <laughs> yeah, I think so many writing assignments that I see when I'm helping instructors with courses, they're, they're big and broad and vague. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, if you're a artsy sort, if you're, if you, if writing is your thing, then that's cool. You like that. Um, that gives mm -hmm. you room to stretch out, but if you're not, and that's most people, most people, yeah. <laughs> um, some direction is nice, is good to have. Not that it has to be lockstep, but that, you know, some real direction, like um, a word count. <laughs> yeah. um, what what style manual we're talking about, how much research yeah. is required, you know, um, how recent does the research have to be if, if, if there's a research requirement. Um, and I think that's where breaking it down into the skills that you're actually mm -hmm. talking about. So not just yeah. the goals for the student, but the goals for the teacher. The yeah. goals for the instructor, yes. for what is that instructor even wanting to right. see? Like you said, digging in and, and figuring out what do you mean they can't write? So that tells you what that instructor is looking for in yes. in what they're – so that's where, you know, it gets – we'll get into rubrics, I think, here. Yeah, this calls out for rubrics, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that's the easiest way to codify exactly what you're looking for and and – what level, you know, and make it clear to yourself, to the student, and also cut down on your grading, grading. time because rubrics mm -hmm. are beautiful for that. Well, and and a good rubric can also, you know, as you're designing it, it can also help you realize when you're asking too much or when something might be better broken down into multiple steps, because when you see it all written out, you know, it might be like, whoa. <laughs> That's you practicing that that idea of writing it out helps you work through your <laughs> Yes. There we go. Oh, it's just like inception here. It's <laughs> <laughs> boxes inside of boxes. That's um, yeah. Right. That, that total that totally is the thing that, that you, you can when you start to break it down, you're like, oh wait, does does APA seven really matter thirty-five percent of this grade to me? <laughs> mm -hmm. And if it does, it does, you know. Sure. But like it you it forces you to make decisions about about what counts and yeah. and and how each bit should contribute. And that's hard to get at the that is kind of a blank page situation when you first make one too. So it's it's good to think mm -hmm. of rubrics as iterative where you can make them better as you go. I so I'd be missing an opportunity if I so my favorite word in the whole entire land and that 
I've probably said to anyone who I've ever met is exigence. (laughs) So in writing studies, what that means is it's kind of a combination of your need and your goal. Why do you need this communication? And what do you hope happens because you communicated? And I think that is just this part that we're talking about of designing a writing assignment. Why do you need this writing assignment? And what do you hope happens for your students because of this writing assignment? Um, And if you can just start with that as a very simple, almost like your research question, if you're writing a research paper. Well, and I think that gets down to, I mean, we've been talking about this again, still as sort of bigger writing assignments, but it may be that what you need is lower stakes, Mm -hmm. smaller, more frequent sort of formative writing pieces. That's that journaling. That's the the one minute essays. Um, I love one minute writes. They get students to to just put down thoughts where maybe, you know, if you are not a writing teacher, teaching them grammar is not, it is not in your job description. Right. <laughs> yeah. That is not part of your, that is not other duties as necessary. Right. That, But giving them the opportunity to practice those pieces mm-hmm. within the context of your discipline or within the thinking of the subject sure. of your discipline. You can add a journal to anything. That's easy. That's, yeah, you that's, can. Your, yeah. that's your on ramp. If you know, if if the powers that be say, "I need writing in your in your math class," well, there you go. You add a journal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, and it's it's and a, that's a great start. point about like you you know you don't need the grammar for that if you know your your goal for this is that you want them to connect concepts that you talked about. Give them a chance to just reflect and connect. How do these or to figure out what the most difficult part was. What do they want to have more focus on in class? Like none of those things require you to correct someone's grammar, but there's this innate human need that I think <laughs> right. there's in all of our brains that wants to correct everyone's grammar. And it feels like we're failing if we have a student and we fail to point something like that out to them. But I think that's one way to lighten the load is to say, is that part of my goal right now? If it's not, then just let them know. I'm not looking at this for grammar or structure. I'm looking at this for your ideas. And yeah. that's what I was going to say is making sure that the students are aware of that in the first place and, so, and so that the, it's not yeah. – there's not that urge to to cheat. And, or well, to, and also, also that that uh, getting tied up and worried about the words you're putting down because the grammar might be wrong. Right. Yeah. Even yeah. in my lit class, I I – said the journals I don't I don't look at the grammar I don't care about the grammar and honestly I really just cared that they wrote something it was I was basically uh-huh. grading them <laughs> on completion yeah exists doesn't yeah. exist and that was good enough that was because, because that, that was my goal because it was low stakes my goal was to get them to yes. synthesize information and it, practice sure, putting it into words there's probably some kid yep. who wrote nothing but nonsense syllables but most people do it. I, I learned this trick from an art teacher I had back in high school. He gave us this assignment. You had to do five sketches a week and we were up in arms. Five sketches a week, five, this guy, mm-hmm. who is this guy? And we had this, we had this, you know, um, spiral bound, you know, book that we did our sketches in. And so we were like, so, so if I trace my hand and make one of those turkeys, you know, like we did in first grade, does that count? <laughs> and he would always just look at us with a level stare and say, Five sketches a week is the requirement. And we did that. We would do our, we would do turkeys. And after uh-huh. about three weeks of doing turkeys, you know, you go, you set up a still life and spend a couple hours on it. <laughs> you tricked us into yeah. doing good work just by getting in the habit, by establishing the habit yep. of, of, of sketching. I feel like there's probably a whole 
like genre of good pedagogy out there under the heading of trickery. <laughs> <laughs> pedagogical trickery. This is our book. We should write this. This is what we should have named the podcast. It's pedagogical trickery. I love it. But I do think that the the journaling, uh, getting the students just in the habit of writing, I think it's a really good point that it's habit. Yeah. What's that? The, the Atomic Habits guy, James Clear? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Whose point, whole point, I mean, not whole point, he's got a lot of points, but like one of his points is establish the habit before you deepen the habit. Sure. And his yes. illustration of that, which I've probably used on a different podcast, I'm going to have to start paying money to James Clear for this, is <laughs> his, his client who wants to learn how to work out. And he tells him the first week he just has to go to the gym and touch the door and then go back home. <laughs> <laughs> the same time. Uh, and the guy's like, you're crazy. I need that workout plan. Isn't that a great idea? He's just like, establish the habit and then and then go in for five minutes and then go in for 10 minutes and just build it out. We we try to, we get a big head of steam with an idea and like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to do it this two is, hours a day, every that day. Is, that is all basic behavioral science <laughs> too. Yeah. That is, um, yes. that is, is Skinner level yeah. stuff. Yeah. That is the take a behavior and break it down into its component parts and teach it up yeah. from the beginning. It's backward planning. It's all of those things. It's, yeah. it's. Yeah. If we got students just in the habit of journaling as a way to process life, then we've, you know, we've helped helped the Ute. Then we have helped the Utes. <laughs> well, and honestly, that's I feel like that's really important in writing because so many people that we see at the writing studio, and I'm including myself in this, you know, I, I work full time helping writers. I am finishing up a PhD about writing and I still struggle with the pressure of large writing projects and procrastinate. Like I'm not immune to procrastination. And that's pretty common because there's this, you know, people like I know if I was in a math class, I'd say I definitely would like some tutoring. Please look at my math. It's not making any sense with writing. It just feels so much more vulnerable and like you have to be perfect. And so I think that small habit of just getting something down on the page helps ease you in mentally and it will help lead to it's sequencing right into the writing process because how easy is it to go from a couple weeks of journaling to saying your journal today is to free write about what your topic is going to be or what your research question is going to be and you've already got them into free writing and breaking things down which is the best way to mentally get through an imposing writing project yeah i mean it's not surprising that people that aren't in the habit of writing when you throw a blank page at them you know literal or figurative blank page that they they um freeze paralysis i mean they're not Mm -hmm. they're not accustomed to generating content you know um journaling gets you accustomed to generating content i mean i i I used to tell them look because they they'd say oh 500 words or whatever it was it didn't matter what the word count was i said look i could write five thousand words about my breakfast and you can too Mm -hmm. if you if you get in the habit of of writing of being able to generate content you'll see it in different ways more complicated ways that you can convey yeah And the more positive experiences students have. So this is part of the research um, as well, sort of with the mental aspect of writing. The more positive experiences you have, the more likely you are to jump into the next writing project. You know, if you only have big, giant projects where you they call it binge writing, you know, where you spend (laughs) the last several hours before the deadline writing and then you feel like you got some harsh feedback and, you know, you're going to dread it the next time. Whereas those little wins, it's a whole lot easier to make yourself do it the next time. So shorter, lower stakes, 
you know, even no stakes yeah, <laughs> or practically sure. no stakes, like my, it, they did they Completion. do it? Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. We've, so we've talked about journaling. We've talked about the sort of big writing assignments. I think it's worth looking at the ways different writing manifests in different disciplines. Mm-hmm. And you talked about making it something that is relevant. So not just relevant to the student, relevant to the to the discipline. Um, one of our yes. one of our colleagues, Alex, who also does podcast with us, has been um, teaching the first year the first year seminar for the business students, mm-hmm. and you know, and and he talked about finding topics that made that made them want to write a marketing presentation. Yes. But that's that's part. I mean, that's the kind of writing that someone is going to need to do in business. They're not necessarily mm-hmm. going to need unless they're going into academia, studying business. <laughs> they're not necessarily yeah. going to need to write big, long papers or write an analysis of a case study that they read. But they might need to do an analysis of a case study and present it to their boss. And Right. They might meet. They would still need probably to be able to summarize things. In fact, more and more and more, I think the ability to summarize because so much content's coming at you. The ability to yeah. to briefly recapitulate the important points. And you brought in like to your bo- your boss. So considering who it's to, um, yes, yeah, is the important thing. How would you summarize it for your boss? How would you summarize it for your colleague in the field? Mm-hmm. How would you summarize it for a colleague not in your field? You know, yes, um, being able to to write at those different levels, even with such a simple thing as summary is, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that's more a real world skill, right? You're doing that all the time. Oh, I read this thing about, and you've got to be able to, to say it, or you don't get to be part of the conversation. And that gets to to thinking about writing as, uh, writing is just how we demonstrate a certain set of skills. It's one way that we demonstrate a certain set of skills, such as summarizing, such as synthesizing, Mm -hmm. such as analyzing. And so thinking about it in terms of the skills, like going to the root mm-hmm. of what writing is meant to display and, yeah. and focusing on those root pieces, I think, can make the creation of writing assignments for instructors a little easier. If, right. yeah. if they look at that and think, well, my students are going to have to present. OK, so if they have to present, who do they have to present to? What's the mm-hmm. format of the presentation? What what? Um, Things need to go with the presentation. Do they need handouts? Do they need a PowerPoint? Do they, you know, what writing needs to go? Because there's almost always going to be writing on those. It's not just a rebus puzzle. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, there's one I used in when I was teaching AP research, which was an elevator pitch idea. And I was surprised how many people, my students didn't know what that was. And um, I don't know when I learned what it was. But the idea, if you don't know, behind an elevator pitch is that you are some sort of uh, entrepreneur or would-be entrepreneur. You've got an idea for a product. You find yourself on an elevator with Bill Gates or some other rich and powerful person who could make things happen. And by just sheer force of will or or maybe you you do say, hey, Bill, I've got this great idea. You've got the time between the floor you're on and the floor that he gets off to pitch your idea. So we tried this with research questions or, and it worked really well because they were having That's trouble great. getting their research question nailed down and they were having trouble making sense when they were trying to convey it to me. Mm-hmm. So instead, I had them pair up. And I had, you know, one, uh, I gave him like 10 minutes to, or maybe I can't remember how many minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes to, you know, get your pitch together. 
and then they have to pitch uh, to the person across the table from them. And then the, this crucial bit after that, then that person says back to them what they got out of it because it doesn't always land, right? You may have – you realize through that what you emphasize too much or not enough and then they get to revise it. So you get a second round mm -hmm. and they pitch it again and they do the same thing and say, here's what I got out of it this time. Um, or you can even pitch to different people. We can move to different tables and do it like that. And then and then you keep kind of cycling through so that everybody gets a chance to uh, both be the person pitching and the person receiving mm -hmm. the pitch. Um and that is ultimately a writing assignment. It is. And they loved it. It is. And even they, though it's was, not a paper, even, even though they're not handing in a. Yeah. And, and, and it was helpful because like they would go, oh, yeah, man, I, I, I wasn't making any sense. Now I now I am. And what a great way to sequence in or kind of slide in like small baby steps towards peer review and towards revision, because it's a lot lower stakes to just give someone feedback on an elevator pitch than to, you know, put feedback in the margins of their whole paper, sure. you know, and it's a lot easier to just make quick little edits on the fly for two sentences than it is on a whole paper. Like that. I really love that assignment. That's yeah, great. And you build some trust too with the, I mean, assuming well, in this case, that was the people, the, that sure. was the people, those were the people <laughs> you were going to be in it with for the rest of the term. You know, you, you get a little, yes. you get a little, you know, build a little confidence with them. Cause they're well, not and I think, uh, okay. No, you go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say, I think like sharing the reasons, sharing that exit and sharing your goal with the students is so important for writing assignments, small ones, big ones. If they know why they're doing something and why it matters to them for their future, for the topic that you're talking about for their future career, they're a lot more willing to get on board. Then if it's kind of like you're the man behind the curtain, I've got my reasons, you're going to do this because <laughs> it will help you. For that matter, it's a good parenting tip. My kid, I mean, I, I cannot get him to do something because I said so. But if I can uh -huh. if I can give him reasons, I'm saying, look, the reason we're doing this is X, Y, and Z. He's much more likely to get on board sure. with it. Yeah. I mean, I'll put those at the top of all my writing prompts for any assignment, like just like your elevator pitch to the student. There you go. <laughs> Here's, Here's why the point. Here's why we're you doing should be this. doing this. Yeah, that's there, there you go. Improve all your assignments tomorrow by adding a, a, a thing at the top that says, here's why we're doing this. Well, and that's what I was actually <laughs> going to say is it's it, on the one hand, this seems like sort of a silly topic for us to discuss specifically with online classes as well, because it's writing. So it's not necessarily right in person. But I think that's that hammers home the point that being clear in your instructions in an online mm -hmm. course, it being clear in your instructions everywhere, but it's even that much more important when you're not standing in front of the students doing yes. <laughs> doing that. You need to be yeah. super, super clear. You can't convey anything by tone of voice or, or gesture or anything like mm -hmm. that. And you're not available uh, immediately for clarification. So, uh, being clear is great for all instruction, but in the online space, especially the it's asynchronous on, yeah, it's critical. And that's like kind of the pressure cooker where we're like, oh, wait, this worked fine face to face, but nobody's going to know what to do here. Thanks for listening to part one of our two-part series on writing intensive courses. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss part two, where we dive a little deeper into the practicalities and strategies for implementation. 